Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the T Podcast by Developing Lafayette. My name is Ben Powers. I'm your host. And what we like to do with this podcast is we like to invite different business owners, different community influencers in Lafayette Parish that really highlight Lafayette Parish and what we're all about. Anything from new business, new construction, new renovation, or anything in between that really helps Lafayette shine for those outside of our community. We do have three sponsors today, three local sponsors, and you can probably see on the table one of them is Cajun Market Donut Company. Uh, they were fantastic in offering the, the ability to sponsor this episode. And what they want us to tell you is that um, we, we're not going to read a script because we already know that these donuts are good. Uh, nobody has to deny that. But they do have a buy one, get one half off on king cakes. So it's like... If you buy a whole king cake and if you want to give someone a king cake for a gift or, you know, let's say there's a teacher or a client, you know, you get that half off king cake and uh, you really surprise somebody because who doesn't love a good king cake? And whether you believe a donut is a king cake or not, it doesn't matter. It's got purple, yellow, green, sugar. It's good. Uh, They are locally owned and operated by Rusty Steele, who's a great guy. They were recently voted best king cake and according to Cajun Market Donuts too many people to count who voted it Um, I recently did a video where we tested out local king cakes and I didn't know who they were I could guess like by looking at them who I thought they may be but um, my my choice my flavor I guess picked Cajun Market Donuts and we had both meshes and Cajun Market Donuts on the table and for some reason, I, I gravitated toward Cajun Donut. And I'm not normally the one who goes after Cajun Market. I go to Meshes because that's where, oh, go to Gilbo, go to Meshes. Okay. But Cajun Market Donuts, it's good stuff. Uh, I think I'm probably switching to Cajun Market. So, and especially after this and they're sponsoring us, they, uh, it's grateful. And uh, we'll, I'll show you a little bit real quick. They got some donut holes. They got some bacon, chocolate, and a regular... Uh, donut hole there, and then you got this fat king cake. I'm not even gonna try to take it out, but uh, it's cream cheese filled, super heavy. They have four locations Pinhook, Broussard, Bro Bridge, and Rue Louis. So, uh, check them out. They have their Facebook pages, Instagram pages, uh, and they their website is CajunMarketDonut.com. So, be sure to check them out, get your uh, donut fill. Um, also, we have Gidry Land Development. Uh, Gidry Land Development uses a combination of creative vision, incredible experience, and a top talent to achieve the maximum value for each project they embark on. They strive to develop communities capable of thriving today and for future generations. Uh, for more information, you can contact Cliff Gidry at 337-962-3274. Or you can visit their website, GidryLandDevelopment.com. And that's GidryLandDevelopment.com. And also we have Teresa Hamilton and team at Van Eaton and Romero. They are a tough, smart, and a company who works diligently from their hearts consistently to be number one in the real estate team that they are. They... uh, they're all, they help local buyers, Lafayette buyers, and sellers to 
be confident in selling their home or in buying their home. They are the largest, most important, this is the largest, most important financial decision that most people make is buying a house or selling a home. And uh, they will do whatever they can to be experts at that selling your home or buying your home. And they're honest. Um, they have the utmost professionalism. And if you want to learn more about Teresa Hamilton and team, you can go to their website, TeresaHamilton.com, or check out their digital publication called Around Town. It's found all over the web. And again, their website, it's TeresaHamilton.com. So we thank all of the sponsors that have sponsored this episode, and uh, we're going to go ahead and get started with the tea. So today's guest is probably somebody who has, uh, in my opinion, whenever festival comes around, the biggest shoes. And you probably, I mean, you would say that you're probably the highest position in festival. Is that right? Or close to it? Yeah, there's, uh, I'm the director and we, um, so I'm, I'm staff. We also have a volunteer board. So really the head of the organization is the president, uh, which is where I kind of served before being director. Okay. But as far as logistics on the ground and execution, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of people involved. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of people. I mean, just go to festival. There's tons of people working the festival, volunteers, everybody. I mean, it's a, it's a big community event. Um, so if you're listening today to the podcast, this is Scott Feehan. He is the executive director of Festival, no, Festival International de Louisiane. Did I say that right? Close. Close. Uh, or just say Festival International, or for short, Festival. Um, he is, he's been, uh, you know, I, we appreciate you coming on and talking about Festival. So some of the things that um, excites me about Lafayette is festival, uh, a bunch of different reasons. One, it's it's a free event for most people to go to, um, and there's tons of music, there's tons of artwork, there's tons of vendors, and it's just you just kind of go downtown whenever it's happening, and you kind of get that ambiance of music and just food in the air. Like wh- like what or who decided to create Festival International? That's a great question. Um, so it was, it was a team of people. It was back in the 80s in the middle of the oil bust. And so uh, Lafayette was struggling. The economy was in the tanks. Uh, downtown was, um, you know, needed some help. And so it was, it was a group of people, um, you know, Phil Lank and his team, they had just, just started Downtown Alive a couple years before. And um, he joined forces with, um, like I said, a lot of people in the community, but uh, the artistic vision came from Herman Meir. Um, and it took a year, a year of planning, and they brainstormed. They traveled all over the world looking at different festivals. And they wanted to come up with something unique. Like they didn't want to just put a you know, Ferris wheel in downtown right. Lafayette. They didn't want to sell cotton candy. and They wanted to do something truly unique and to give some, Lafayette something to be proud of. And what they came across was Festival d'Ete in Quebec. And this was, um, that's what our festival was modeled after. It was a a festival in downtown Quebec. And they took a lot of those ideas and came back to Lafayette with them. And the mechanism that they tied on to or latched onto was our Francophone roots and heritage. So they wanted to design a musical and artistic event where they latched onto our francophone roots and reached out to our sister cities all around the world and 
teamed up with our government agencies and our sister cities' mayors, and they formed these partnerships to where we could bring in some of the music and artists and talents and, and chefs from all over the world, and then we'd pair them on the same stages as some of the talent we had right here in Lafayette. And they wanted to accomplish two things. One was, um, you know, attract tourism from these places, but then two, by attracting some of the top talent from around the world, they wanted to showcase the talent we had here in Lafayette to point out that, hey, we have something special here too. And then we could start exporting our culture. And then at the same time, they would invite the business leaders from these sister cities. So behind closed doors, there were business meetings that were happening because they wanted to help stimulate the economy too. So they didn't want to just have, like I said, a party in the street with a Ferris wheel. They right. wanted it to be musical and artistic and have a purpose. And uh, by and large, it was very, very successful. I mean, it, you know, if and I, I've met a lot of the founders, and I've told them all they're they're crazy. You know, it could, if you could imagine in, in the mid '80s coming up with this idea to say, "Hey, we're going to throw this international francophone festival in downtown Lafayette," which, right. like I said, downtown was not in the same shape it is now. Back then, there were no parks. There were a lot of abandoned buildings. That, you know, it was such a crazy idea. Um, you know, I looked at it and said, man, you guys are out of your mind. And, and you know, they even said, too, they said, you know, I think we were just young enough to not know any better. And we just kind of willed it to fruition. And like I said, it worked. I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful for everything they did. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, a very interesting festival um, <coughs> in all facets. Uh, I, so I moved here in 2010, and I never heard of... Festival International until I moved here. I think my first festival... So I moved here in the summer of 2010. So I think 2010's festival had already passed. Mm -hmm. So 2011 comes around. And my my, my girlfriend was... Uh, she, who's now his, my wife. Uh, she was like, hey, there's this festival downtown. Uh, it's free, you know. And it's it's kind of cool. You wanna Do you want to go? I'm like, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll see what it's like. Because, you know... I wanted to get to know Lafayette and get to be a part of it. And so we go downtown and, you know, we find the best parking spot that we could find that was free, that we could walk, and we prayed that our car wouldn't get towed. Mm -hmm. So we park, we walk a little ways, and we just start hearing music. And we start, like, hearing that echo. And it was just, it was really cool. So we, we walked down one of the streets. And we get next to, uh, I'm trying to figure out what stage this is. It's the one closest to uh, Pamplona. Yeah, the Fado Dome. Yeah, so that one. And it's the one with the, the mural behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that stage is the one that we landed at first. And it was, I think the music, the, the act that was playing was Beats Antique. And to have that band playing for me first to be able to hear that one first it really it really positioned festival international as this like thing where like this is music that i like mm -hmm. that I, I i feel like this is different i thought it would be the 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 normal cajun or zydeco music yeah. that everybody has heard at every single festival i i, I don't know if you're familiar with boggy bayou festival in pine prairie mm -mm. it's a festival that's been going on it's kind of a carnival ish but they have stages and uh you know uh what's his name in bro bridge the little guy uh who played the accordion i forget his name uh god 
it Hunter? Hunter Hayes. Hunter Hayes. Whenever he was little, he played at the Boggy Bayou Festival. And it's very similar sounds that I've heard as a kid before, you know, the Cajun music. But hearing different, more international style of music was intriguing. And Beats Antique especially was one of those that was like, this is different. And it was like the people were jumping and like having fun. And like, God, this is this is this is an atmosphere that feels cool. And then we decided once Beats Antique had, you know, played their part out, we walked a little bit more and we went through like these vendors and like this area where there was tons of crafts and artwork. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a unique experience. And I was surprised that it was free yeah. to go to because the Boggy Bayou Festival is not free. Mm-hmm. You have to pay to get in. Yeah. And this, you just walked right in and you had this, this concert or, or this huge event just happening. Like, why is it free? Well, so that, that actually goes back to the founders. When they um, developed this concept, like I said, it was in the middle of the 80s. So they wanted this to not only be unique and special and over the top, something people had never seen before, but it was at a time when people were losing their jobs. Mm. So they wanted it to be accessible for everybody. They wanted this to be a bright spot for everybody in Lafayette, everybody in Acadiana. So they, they didn't want it to be an elite, you know, they, they wanted everybody to come and kind of forget about what they're going through in their normal life, you know, what their job situation was. And, and that's how they developed it. And um, they originally, they, their goal was to have it half funded by the city and then half through private um, donations and corporate support. Has that goal been reached? Well, so it started that way. Um, the first year, they had a $150,000 budget. Okay. And so the city of Lafayette pitched in $75,000, um, plus some other in-kind, you know, security and a lot of other services. And then they raised $75,000 from some other supporters. And um, it, it quickly grew, right? And it grew from a lot of on Like as the festival itself grew, there was more revenue being generated on-site. And then there was also more private support for it. So, um, it's, you know, now our, I think our budget this year is $1.8 million. 1.8 million. 1.8 million. So it's, it's grown a ton. So what we've, over the years, you know, I mean, that we do get a lot of support from the city, um, not just financially, really the biggest support that we get from the city is, the, are those extra services that I talked about, you know, police is, is huge. Um, public works, you know, water, utilities, like there's a lot of, we have to set up our own infrastructure. Um, we have our own grid downtown. Okay. So, I mean, we have $60,000 worth of electrical poles and cabling. And so the city helps us to set up our grid within their grid in downtown to run all of our, you know, to run our events. So there's a lot that you know that goes into it, but I think in the first like in the first 15 years, it went from 150,000 to 650 thousand dollar budget, and then from 15 years to today, you know we're at like I said 1.8 million. And obviously, the budget includes paying the musical acts, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I know you don't you don't need to get into specifics on that, but like, what does it take for a festival to get some of those music acts, like for example, Beats Antique, like that's they their album is on Spotify, it's on uh, Napster, it's on all these mm-hmm. platforms, so they're obviously known enough to be there. 
So like, how do you guys reach out? Like, how do you guys decide who to try to reach out to to get to festival? Like, what is the thought process behind that? Um, so this gets deep. Okay. <laughs> but so basically, um, you know, Lisa Stafford is our programming director. She's been programming festival for 20 years. So she does, she's really tapped into the network, you know, so she, she scouts groups all over the world. She goes to conferences and she has really good connections in the industry. So as we stand today, our budget for musical acts is, I think it's $230,000. Okay. And then we spend another, you know, 20 grand on, on street animation. Um, then we have a whole separate budget. You know, when we, when we bring them in, we have to house them. Hotels and transportation, and so I mean the programming budget alone is somewhere in the mid four hundred thousand range. That's almost as much as your like fifteen year max budget for the whole festival, right? And so what's what's happened over the years? You know, if you can in the early years there was a lot of government support. A lot of the governments really valued the exporting of their culture. They saw that as a benefit to their economies. The same reason we want to export ours. So there. We uh, festival was able to get a lot of governmental support to get these artists over. Um, through the years, a, a lot of things have happened. So on our side, since 9-11, every year, uh, visa requirements uh, have gotten more stringent. Mm. So in fact, this year alone, it, it is a big change. Um, the end of October of 2018, there was a new rule put into place where basically the IRS says that if a musician, not a band, not a group, but if a, a single musician is going to come to the States and not make $10,000, then they can't apply for the... There was something called the Collective Withholding Agreement before. It, effectively, what this means to us is we have to withhold 30% of anything we were going to pay that artist or that group. And so most musicians, you know, when they come and route to the States, we deal with a couple agents... And there, there are circuits of festivals, and a lot of them are more in the summer, um, but that's in the northern states. So we used to have um, the Houston International Music Festival that we could cross book with, and then Jazz Fest. So we could bring an artist in and kind of route them through mm. those three, okay. and then try to find other gigs while they're in the states. Well, so what's happening now is the International Houston Festival uh, Music Festival went under, I think, in 2013. So... You know, now we try to work with Jazz Fest as much as we can, but we have different programming goals, so it doesn't always line up. Right. And so with this new IRS regulation, if we have to withhold 30% of what we're going to pay an artist, well, you know, they still want to make the same amount of money that they're generally making. So the you got to go up on how much you give them. Effectively, it, it raises our rate by 40%. Right. Because of the way. And so now they're faced with, do they go and just tour in Canada? Because it's a lot you know, it's different rules. Or if they're going to come to the States, we need to book not just one, two or three gigs, but we need to figure out how to route them in the States so that each member of the group is going to make $10,000 while they're here. So it's, you know, and that went into effect the end of October. So we were able to get some, a lot of our booking for this year done before then for international artists, but moving forward to next year, um, you know, we have some real challenges. So Lisa's working with uh, some of the you know the larger agents that we work with, and so now what it's turning into sometimes is she'll go and say, okay, you know, with this agent, I'm interested in artist A, B, C, D. Okay. And I know what these artists normally draw, 
but I'm just going to go to the agent and she'll, she'll tell the agent, Hey, look, I have this total amount of money. You figure out how you can route your artist and, you know, figure out how to put that money into place to get me those artists. I'll kind of leave the individual negotiations up, you know, up to you. So it's, it's very tricky. It's very tricky, very complicated. And then once we go through this every year, you know, Lisa will get the bookings done in the fall. Well, then January, <coughs> February come around is when you hope to get the visas approved. Well, last year, the visa office, uh, the international visa office that processes these, was cut from 115 staffers to 17. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. So lead times get delayed. And then so January, February, this is when, after we think we have our schedule done, January, February is when all the visa issues come. So then Lisa has to reroute and, and redo the whole schedule. And, you know, and that's, like, that's one of the questions we get from people is, why can't you release your schedule earlier? So we, we're still you working on it. I don't know it. Yeah. So that's, it's, that's just insane. Oh, it's, look, it, so <coughs> I, got on the, I got on the board in 2010. Okay. And when I started learning, you know, like each one of these facets, like I was telling you the questions I saw earlier, I said, man, we could do a whole podcast on any one of right. these. When I started learning about this stuff, it, just, it blew my mind that festival existed, period, you know, after 30 years. Like these challenges have existed every year and they just continue to get bigger. And, you know, so I learned about the programming. I said, holy smoke, how do, you know, how do they do that? Then you go to production and you deal, you know, imagine just putting um, an event on in Park International, mm -hmm. right? There's enough logistics involved with that. Imagine downtown Lafayette. I mean, we have probably three dozen different land leases that we have to work with, with two dozen landowners. Wow, and then you know buildings going up and down, and uh, utilities changing, and you know, so the production side has a whole nother set of challenges that are just this thick. I mean, it, you know, it's like I said, till this day, uh, as we sit here, it, it, I'm impressed every year <laughs> that we're able to pull it off. No, I mean it's a it's a big feat, um, and it's really cool whenever festival does start to come into town every year because you kind of get that feeling like there's like this vibe in the air yeah. and you start seeing all the memes on Facebook of, you know, uh, area area women getting their sundresses and their hats. Yep. Uh, it's just, it's one of those things that it, it, it kind of helps promote or, uh, you know, bring money into some of these boutiques who have right. Those style of dresses that everybody wants the, the light sundresses, but uh, yep. it's just it's just an interesting thing when you know even though it's complicated to set up and everything, the people the the average person doesn't see all that, so for them to be able to enjoy it and putting all that hard work that you guys put into it has to feel good a little bit like you know it's a lot of work, but the community the community loves it. Yeah. I mean. Every year so far, I'm, there's there's tons of people that go. Yeah. Like, how many people go to the festival? Do, do you have, like, a head count? Like, an estimated head count? <laughs> uh, there are several estimates. Um, so, th what we did a couple years ago is because there are all kinds of numbers that fly, <laughs> fly around. We set, we mapped out our footprint and said, okay, Fado Doe area, according to fire marshal rules and regulations, you can fit this many bodies in this area. And then we looked at a more realistic number. Then we mapped out every piece of our footprint of downtown. We said, okay, Wednesday night, this section's open. Thursday, this is open. For, 
And so the max capacity that we figure our entire footprint is, is about 60,000. And so over the course of five days, a festival with the areas that are open, if we have beautiful weather and great attendance the whole five (laughs) days, it's somewhere around 300,000 people. Now, it's obviously some people come multiple days. It's not 300,000 unique people. Right. But, you know, bodies throughout the days, it seems like it's, you know, somewhere in that area. That's a good bit. It's a lot. I mean... That's that's the best estimate I think that you could probably get because yeah. you're not ticketing people right. or having them pay. But like, man, no, that's a lot. And circling back to the point you just made, you know, for me, like I've been, I still, my first festival was 1992. Okay. And so, and I haven't missed a year since. So from 92 until 2009. And, it, and I used to, I would support by donating and giving, um, <coughs> I had a drum shop, so I'd donate gear for yeah, some yeah. of their stuff. But in 2009, I volunteered for one shift. And so up until then, festival to me, like you said, it was just magic. It just popped out of the sky into downtown Lafayette once a year. I came and kind of alluded to what you said earlier. Like I would see this band on stage that I had, I would look at the guy and say, I don't recognize any of these names, but they just knocked my socks off. Right. And then I'd go to another stage and I'd have the same experience. So this whole weekend, it was it was pure magic. And I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know who put it on. I, it was just... And then it left. And then the next year, it would come back again. And so 2009, I volunteered for one shift, a three-hour volunteer shift in one of the booths. And I helped the guy set up. And that was the first time. Like When we, when we went out to the Lafayette area, and uh, as a friend of mine, he was the area manager. And... He said, here, go hang up those banners. And I remember just thinking, I was looking at him thinking, like, these are the magic banners, yeah. <laughs> right? And I have banners and zip ties, and that's when it clicked. I said, no, it's not magic. It's people like me and people like him that just show up and set all of this stuff up. And so in 2010, I said, you know what, I'm ready to pay my dues. Like, whatever you need. And he said, yeah, you want to be a manager of this, you know, this booth? And I remember telling him, I said, yeah, look, I'll do it. Um, I'd rather not give up my Friday and Saturday nights. You know, and that's what everybody says. Right, that's and, the... he, and he said, yeah, don't worry about it. Man. Don't worry, I'll have somebody help. And, and I, I knew at the time what I was getting into. I knew exactly what he was roping me into. Sure enough, I worked that entire festival from set up to tear down. And when it was at the tear down that I remember showing up at the dock and just seeing all <coughs> of these worker bees... And like I said, it wasn't magic. It's people like me, you, just getting down and dirty, tearing down the, the banners. Doing, and that's what drew me in. And after I saw that, then I came back the next year and I got on the board. And then I saw the same people, you know, the same worker bees. And everybody shows up and does their jobs. And then you leave for a year and then they come back yeah. next festival. And it was, it was a really cool process to watch. And like I said, it, for me, it was just one step deeper each year um but that's you know if we can go through all of this and then yes like on friday saturday night when we're finally able to sit back and you see the crowd and you see the the vibe you're talking about and the looks on people's faces and they have no clue what what we worked on the entire year right they have oblivious no, they just have no, enjoying it yeah, they don't know that our, you know, the, the system, uh, the RFID system crashed on us 30 minutes before opening night. Or they don't know the, you know, the ice vendor left us high and dry and we had no ice on Sunday morning. And, you know, they, they don't, none of that ever hits the public's eye. And so, yes, we try to take a moment on like Friday, Saturday night to say, all right, <laughs> everything we went through, 
you know, this is why this is worth it. So. Yeah, I mean, even though you have technical difficulties, the the public, most of the public won't see it. Mm-hmm. As long as it looks like everything is going well, I mean... Uh, we we have, if you can imagine, we have some good laughs on the, um, you know, at home base. Like at, at the end of each night of festival, we kind of come back and, you know, we talk about all the things that went wrong and um, how we made it through it. And so it's, it's a good thing. And I guess, the, you know, the other point that I do want to, I guess, hammer home is that, you know, like I said, it's not magic. And um, it takes, like during festival hours alone, there are 20, like what I was just describing is kind of our core real, mm-hmm. these are the people who take off a week of work. They take their vacation to come and set festival up. In addition to all of that, during festival hours, there are 2,600 volunteer slots that we need to fill. And that's a lot. And so... How do you get the volunteers? You just go on Facebook and request it? I mean, how do you set up... How do you become a volunteer? Um, yeah, so, I mean, individuals can sign up on our site. So, yeah, we do a marketing campaign. But really, the most effective campaigns that we've had is just grassroots. You know, it's... it's like the same way that I got roped in, mm-hmm. like a good friend of mine just lied to me. <laughs> he said, yeah, man, I'll get you some help. Go do it. And I got, I, got, I got sucked in. I got hooked. And so, and that's what we see. The people that show up and volunteer their first year, their average shift load is one and a half shifts. So four and a half hours is what the average first-time volunteer does. Um, the second year they come, they volunteer for three shifts. Third year, it's five. And when they get to their fifth year, um, it's closer to 10 shifts. So it's, you know, once people do it, like I said, just like me, it's, you see a side of festival that you never, like when you make that connection, I think, like I said, it, when you realize it's not magic, it's just people. Hard work. Yeah, it's just people. And, you know, at this point, I can't imagine ever going back to just to being a festival goer without working it. You know, it's an entirely different uh, feeling to, to know that you're part of it. But, you know, I do want to hammer that home. Like it's volunteering for one shift helps you know if everybody that came to festival just volunteered one shift you know it'd be licked but you know last year we went into festival did you say it'd be lit licked oh be god done. that's hilarious um we went into festival last year with 500 empty shifts yeah so 500 empty shifts yeah so so we had to so had other yeah. people had to like fill that mm-hmm. wow so like i said i, I want to leave people with that is you know realize it's it's not magic it's um it's just a group of passionate people that, that love festivals. So if you love festival, come try Shift. Yeah, I mean, and it's crazy because you were just a spectator. Then you decided to volunteer. Mm-hmm. And now you're executive director of Festival International. Yeah. You, you never would have thought that no. 10 something years ago, right? I think two weeks before I even took over as director... If you'd asked me if I was going to be director, I'd have told you you'd out of your mind. Wow. Um, it, it, it wasn't anything that I had expected or planned or had any intentions of doing. Um, but yeah, it was once I got in, it was just, like I said, I got sucked in deeper and deeper just because the more I learned about festival, the more fascinating it was. And the more I realized, man, it, it needs people to, you know, to keep it going. Yeah. I mean, it, that's all it is. And I think uh, if there's anybody listening, you know, if you, if you want to, volunteer for festival obviously you have an open door uh, i mean you're, you're not going to turn anybody down i'm mm. sure um and i mean if, if you love festival why wouldn't you yeah. 
yeah. take a, a, a shift. And you said four and a half hours? Three hours a shift. That's it. Yeah, see, that's nothing. Yeah. I mean, you literally, you go, depending on where you serve, what, it's handing out water, one of them? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, there there's all go. kinds of stuff. Yeah. So, um, there. I mean, that that's cool, though. So, where where is, what's the next step for festival I guess moving forward in the future, like what are some of the immediate plans to let's say let's say for example this year, what's gonna be different this year than previous year? If anything. Yeah, well so I'll start kind of overall, just a real broad stroke. Um a few years ago we felt like the direction festival had been going was it was a huge growth period. And we were starting to blur the lines between what our, you know, what our mission, what we felt our mission should be. And what I'm getting at is we did not want to turn into a jazz, you know, a big corporate pop festival. Um, so we've, we kind of regrouped and said, okay, what, you know, what is our goal? And we made some programming decisions to where we, we actually don't want to book big, well-known pop groups. We want people to not know. We want to expose people to things they had never seen before. And we want the people, like if we want the people that are downtown at festival during festival to be people who truly enjoy a musical, cultural, artistic experience. We don't want them to, you know. So we focused on that to to hopefully kind of concentrate back on what our core is, and like I said, not not get bigger. And so once we did that, um, we started focusing on some of the infrastructure and some of the things that we really needed because that's the other thing that gets stretched as we got larger not only is it a financial strain to pay for you know sound stage lighting gear company labor all of this stuff but like i just mentioned the volunteer base i mean we cannot outgrow our volunteer base because we just wouldn't exist so that's been kind of a focus over the last few years is to get smaller in a sense and better and uh, better equipped and more efficient at what we do um, one of so all of that said what we're looking at moving forward is as an organization one of the biggest challenges we've had is being financially dependent on one event a year you know because if you get rain obviously it's you know it impacts um, a lot and we almost went under uh, what in 2015 um, in August of 2015 we had I think $170,000 in the bank. Wow. So I mentioned our budget is $1.8 million. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in, in 2015, the budget was $1.5 million. Yeah, and still had, over a million is a lot. We had $170,000 in the bank. So with that, we didn't even make it. It was less than six months of cash. So we didn't even know how we were going to get through February with the lights on, much less March, much less April. And then to start festival off, we need to have at least $100,000 on hand just for startup change. Right. Then if that's all we have, then as the artists play on stage, we have to hope we have sales to fund, you know, to fund, to pay the artist. Right. So, I mean, we were very close in 2015 to just not not existing. That's when, you know, the heritage stage was cut and then we made a ton of other changes. Um, so all that said, one of our big strategy, our goals moving forward is we want to be sustainable you know, for the long run. I mean, you have to be sustainable. Yep, so we were, we're looking for, like, what we have in place right now is an incredible staff. I mean, a rock star staff. If you want to put an event on in downtown Lafayette, you're not going to find a better staff on the planet 
than what we have in our office. I mean, we have. I'm pretty all sure the they're loving hearing that. And it's it's the truth. Yeah, there's. Yeah. And, uh, I met a couple of them. They're great. Oh, they're all awesome at what they do. And so what we're looking at is, you know, instead of just doing one event a year, um, that's why we did the partnership with uh, DLU to help produce Downtown Alive. I mean, it's a perfect fit. Yeah. We can put our tools into place and, and put them to work. So instead of us trying to focus on, you know, because raising funds is tough and we're not good at it. <laughs> so Who's really good at raising funds? Right. But what we are good at is putting on events downtown. Okay. So, if we can do, like the Downtown Alive series makes a, a ton of sense. And then if we can maybe do another event in the fall, you know, another marquee event. And whether or not it's Festival International branded, you know, who knows. But just from a production and programming logistics standpoint, if we can put our resources to work to help keep us afloat, you know, throughout the year, if we can be less dependent upon that one event, right? hopefully as an organization we'll be more sustainable moving forward. So... That's kind of a, a real broad stroke of what we're looking at. Um, to short answer long to your original question, what are some of the changes, um, I guess, that the public might see this year? Like one is um, we're going to be expanding the RFID system to include food vendors. Okay. Uh, so it was just drinks before? It was drinks and merchandise. Gotcha. Um, and that was a logistical... Uh, <laughs> so... We had real challenges before with, with drink tickets. Mm -hmm. um, and if you've ever, ever even thought, most people hadn't thought through like what the whole drink ticket system means on the back end. But Well, isn't it to prevent cash from flowing around? Yep. So imagine, <coughs> now tickets have a cash value as far as festivals concerned, right. right? So imagine keeping track of all these tickets. It's like cash. Yep. And then, so not only do you have to distribute tickets, but you have to distribute cash. And then you have to collect it. You have to account for all of this. So imagine doing that through throughout festival, like on Friday, Saturday night. Imagine Hard. getting through the crowds. You yeah. need a police escort. And so that in itself was crazy to deal with. Um, then on the back end, <coughs> the way that you the way that you count them, you know, because it it's cash. So you have to reimburse the vendors and the people who take them. Well, how do you count them? Right? You, you weigh them. So, if you imagine the scale that you need to to weigh, you know, was oh, it a paper tenth ticket. of an ounce or something? Yeah. Well, the scale is so sensitive. If you measure it and the AC comes on, it's going to throw off the count. If uh, somebody had it in their pocket and they were dancing and they they sweat, then it gets moist, throws off the count. If it rains, um, people in the in the beverage booths, if they're grabbing cokes and their hands are wet, yeah. and they grab the ticket. So. All of that, and then the the worst. The I'll tell one story that kind of covers the whole thing. This was in 2015. We had rain on Wednesday, Thursday night. Okay, so start off with wet tickets, and not a lot of them. Then from Thursday, uh, Friday night when we opened, Friday at five o'clock to Saturday at five o'clock, we went through all of the tickets that we had ordered. Which was, we'd always order more than what we should have. We went through them all in 24 hours. And so Saturday afternoon, we're sitting there saying, okay, <laughs> we still have another day and a half of festival. What are, you know? So we went into the vault and we had some leftover tickets from two years before. Mm. But we only had, so we had, I think it was a million, 1.2 million tickets that we went through in 24 hours. That's quick. So we had 100,000 left over from two years ago. So start off, they were the same type of tickets, the same weight, but they were different colors. So that's fine. 
not the end of the world, but we only had 100,000 of them, so we needed a lot more. Well, we found 150,000 tickets from three years prior when we ran out so that we had to print some more during the weekend. Well, those were a different type of ticket, different stock, different weight, right, and a different color. Only had 150,000 of those. So <laughs> Saturday night, luckily, we had a, um, a Lowry's printing. that They've been longtime supporters, and they volunteer, and they're, they're incredible with they showed up Sunday morning at 4 a.m. and printed several hundred thousand tickets for us. Well, if this is a third different ticket type and weight, and they didn't have enough stock to make it all one color. So wow. imagine, what do we have, three dozen booths accepting tickets? Yeah. And now we had uh, three different weight tickets, five different colors, and two of the colors were the same on the different weight tickets. So imagine trying to count that. Yeah, and so keeping up with all that, that's a nightmare. a nightmare. So, so the RFID system that's where the really RFID digitizes be. all of that. Yes. So you don't have to weigh anything. You just kind of look on a, I don't know, I'm guessing an Excel, Excel spreadsheet yeah. and see all the details. Yeah. And that's why, you know, when the RFID system came out, now that was a project that we had worked on for three years. Um, you know, if you're... If you ever tried to set up a Wi-Fi network in your house, you know how complicated it can be sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. Imagine setting up a private, secure, virtual network in downtown Lafayette that needs to be as secure as a banking system, right? Into the server at home. I mean, it, it was, there were a ton of things that, you know, had to be worked out. And it was, um, you know, it was interesting because we had, we, we received both sides. And actually, one of the questions that, that I had from somebody on, on Facebook was, you know, what's the most, some of the complaints you guys get on any one of these changes, like the RFID, for example, you know, a lot of people just, you know, it's a no brainer. It makes sense. Well, of course, you yeah. definitely want to do it. Well, there's a lot of other people that, you know, like I, I got a, I received one letter in particular. Um, I actually have it framed in my office, but the, the letter basically told me it was the dumbest thing the festival had ever done in its history. The RFID? Yeah. Okay. And the last line of it was, Scott, you've really screwed up big time this time. Wow. So, you know, you have that side of things. And, um, but when you talk it through and people realize, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize the logistical nightmare that handling tickets and cash and all of this is during festival. And so that's why, you know, kind of circling back to the original question, like this is a logistical improvement, you know, an efficiency for us. Um, and, it, 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 you know, I think it ultimately improves the patron experience. Um, and then, you know, when we report back to our vendors, it's, there's a lot more confidence in saying, this is exactly what you sold. You know, I can tell you how many Cokes you sold from 2.30 to 2.45 on Saturday afternoon at this yeah. booth, at this register. You know, there's a lot more accountability to it. So that was, a, that was a big step forward for us. And then I think with the addition of the food vendors, I think it's going to make it, the experience even easier with with patrons, you know, and especially with the ability to get the, the refund of unused afterwards. Mm -hmm. You know, I think last year we refunded uh, $120,000, you know, to patrons. And, and if they, the good thing about it is if they used a credit or debit card on site, they didn't even have to register the wristbands. They got within 24 hours, there was an automatic refund posted back to their account. Uh, so that was, that was a huge, and I think once people... Um, you know, went through that experience. I think this year, what, what we're hoping is that 
you know, just show up to the festival. Just use your card. Don't you don't have to register it if you don't want to. I mean, you can. There's some conveniences associated, but so you connect your card to the RFID system. You don't even you don't even connect it. Like it okay. It's just like going into any store. Okay. If you go to Academy and just swipe your card to make a purchase, that transaction goes to the processor. It's done. So with this system, you just swipe your card. It processes the amount, and you just get a credit <coughs> in our system. That's it. Okay. We, we don't have your credit card information. Gotcha. Nobody has it. It's just the balance. And then as you use it at the end, you know whatever's left over. And of course, there's a, there's a processing fee. It's five bucks. But when it's you know at the end, if you did use your card, then you know through the gateway, it, it just like when but you, you still have to use the RFID chips with that. Like if you let's, mm-hmm. are you pre, essentially you're preloading right an RFID bracelet right. Okay. Yep. So if you like I said, just do it on site. Use your card. <laughs> Forget about it and right. have a good time at festival, and then at the end you get... It's kind of like going on a cruise ship or to... I think Disney World yep. uses it, where you get the little bands and you preload or set uh, or put your card on there and just kind of go ham yep. on those expenditures. But yeah, that... Oh, man. I, I don't think I've ever used the bracelets. We, we normally use... Uh, Festival International as an excuse to hear some new music right. and then go eat at a local restaurant. Mm-hmm. We we, we kind of use that as a, a segue, like, oh, go to festival, spend about an hour or so there. We're we're probably the lamest festival goers. Uh, I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it. We just like going, getting getting kind of that feel and like listen to a few bands. I mean, I think one of them was Mark Broussard, probably in 2011. Um, just listening to a few of the bands and then you know moving on from there and going to find a local restaurant to to bring our money to so using the the bracelets i haven't done yet but maybe well, you can do it this year yeah maybe this year and when uh, you go to the local restaurant yeah. if, if you do enjoy festival please try to go to one of the festival local restaurants yeah yeah so is that the one uh, i have their logo is that the buy local logo that's you're it. talking about that's exactly it so if you see that logo yep it's like uh, it's got the festival international pinwheel yep. is that a pinwheel yep. what is that so that was the that was the original logo of festival, and that was started in year one. It was inspired. They wanted it to be unique to South Louisiana. It was inspired by hurricanes. Okay. All right. Well, that kind of makes sense because it looks like a hurricane. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so any of the restaurants, and they're not all just downtown restaurants, mm-hmm. right? There's other places that yep. are part of the buy local system. Yeah, and that was the buy local <clears throat> was something we developed a few years ago because. You know, with any nonprofit, it, it, when you try to raise money, we don't ever want it to be a, hey, what can you do for us type of ask. Right. Um, and I've been a small business owner for 20 years. I mean, I know the plight of a small business owner. So what we wanted to do is basically get that message across. We wanted to say, these are the small local businesses who support festival. And so if you appreciate festival a way that you can keep this cycle going is let's support these businesses because we're all in it together. Right. You know, so we want to do as much as we can. And that's why you'll st- see the stickers in the windows. We wanted it to be a, a, an entire messaging piece. You know, like I said, not just a, hey, give us money and then we're done. And we, there's uh, in our mobile app, there'll be coupons and incentives to go to these businesses. And it's not just restaurants. You know, there, there are other small businesses in town um, and you know, of course, it's all on our website. But I just I point that out because the buy local is that's our message. You know, it's kind of like the Eat Lafayette campaign. Yep. This is these are our local businesses that support festivals. So if it's up to all of us to keep this thing going. You know, if we do value what <coughs> festival does to the community, if you're an individual, well then you know, be a part of it some sort of way, whether it's volunteering or 
being an AMI or supporter. Yeah. And, you know, same with business. So I think it's up to all of us to just keep that cycle, you know, keep it going. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's how people who are spectators can essentially support both festival and that, that restaurant. Yeah. You see that logo, you know that even though you've gotten into festival for free, your money spent at this business with that logo yeah. is translating. So that's that's good. And, and don't be shy. If, if that is the reason you go into the restaurants, tell them that too. You know, say, hey, I'm... Yeah, they, they'd love to hear that because... Absolutely. They, it's kind of referral, it, you know, and yeah. it, it knows, it lets them know that it worked. Absolutely. Um, I want to go ahead and give a quick shout out to the, the sponsors again for us, because um, I know I was supposed to throw their logos up whenever I talked about them, but uh, I won't, I won't go ahead and get the whole spiel, but uh, I want to thank Cajun Market Donut Company again uh, for sponsoring the tea. Uh, they get that buy one, get one half off king cakes. And then I also want to thank again, uh, Gidry Land Development. Uh, their website is GidryLandDevelopment.com. And I also want to thank again, Teresa Hamilton and team at Van Eaton and Romero. Uh, excellent real estate agent. Uh, and their team is great. And that's uh, TeresaHamilton.com. You can check that out. And uh, we're also going to link all of these websites and these sponsors on our website and our podcast uh, description as well but um i have a couple more things i want to talk about scott uh one obviously is this uh fantastic poster right here so how do you guys go about getting this designed like do you reach out to an artist or does an artist reach out to you guys yeah we actually this year we we accepted applications for artists and then we have a jury that kind of goes through and we try to we want an artist you know ideally that is familiar with festival believes in festival um, and knows kind of the message that we want to get across. So this year, the artist was Cody Chamberlain, and he's he's been coming to festival I think since '92, '93, somewhere in that area. So what was fun about this is you know sometimes we have to sit with the artist and give you know more of an explanation of what we have in mind and what we want. With Cody, it was basically Cody, do you want to do the art? He said yes, and he just ran with it. And we there's that we have a um, there's a little video. He recorded his entire process. Okay. So this poster is actually <coughs> three different pieces of art that come together as one. This is the culmination of three pieces. And if you watch, I think it's a two minute video that we have online. It's it's really really fascinating to watch how his you know to me it, it, my brain doesn't work like that. So, but what what inspired the piece was first of all. Um, he attribute he thinks a festival is a fusion, you know, yeah. not just music, arts, culture, but also the different types. But he looked at an aerial view of downtown Lafayette, and something struck him about the the artistic pattern of our footprint, and specifically Park International and how it flows to Park Saint Souci. So that was kind of his launching pad. And if you look up here, the swirl, that's yeah. kind of what. If you look at an aerial view of Park International. That's where this is inspired right. from. And then it actually kind of flows into Parc Saint Souci. And if you know the water fountain, right. Saint Souci. And like I said, when he made that connection and then everything else just kind of stemmed from there, uh, it was, like I said, it's fascinating to me to see it all come together. But nobody had ever done that as far as a you know, geographic you know, um, uh, perspective aspect. So anyway, that's where he started. And I think it came, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, no, it's great. I love it. Uh, I moved here because um, I was a graphic designer and I got a graphic design job in Lafayette. And 
you know, seeing the local art here, it, it's really inspiring. And this is this is really cool. Uh, every every year, there, it's always really neat to see the different uh, posters that come out. But uh, I mean, this one's unique. It has a very uh, symmetrical feel to it, mm-hmm. and uh, it's interesting that he took uh, a satellite view of downtown because immediately I knew that that was where um, the water fountains are, and you know, we kind of had that. Uh, the the other park I, I I get my parks mixed up but yeah I mean it's it's yeah. definitely an obvious uh, mark if you've been to downtown ever and what was the the other good thing about this year with Cody is normally we get an artist to do the art and then we get graphic designers to do because the art inspires like the pen yeah um, it inspires a lot of our merchandise it inspires um, like if you when you download the mobile app this year it's gonna have it's gonna be you'll you'll recognize it. But Cody basically did all of that, you know. So he did the original art, he did the poster, he did the pen, he did like the volunteer shirts. We the the art inspires almost everything we do for this year. And so when you look around and see those designs, it's all from this art. And you know, by and large, it was done by Cody. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take a picture of this whenever the the podcast is over. So whenever I post this to our website, people can go and look at the poster. Um, I don't know. I mean, you guys could probably send me a digital copy, but I want to take a picture of it. So if anybody's listening, you can just go to our website and uh, you'll be able to see it there. Uh, also, you have some shirts that you brought too. Uh, are those this year's shirts? Yeah, some of them are. Well, actually, all of them are. Yes, yeah, so, and these weren't. Um, you know, you'll see these in the merch booth and on our website and all. But uh, this was one Bert Duran came up with. Winter festival, summer fall. Pretty clever. Yeah. 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 Kind of like what you're saying, when it gets around festival time, that's all you really think about. This is another one that uh, I think Bird did this one as well. From sun up to sundown. Mm-hmm. That's I festival. like it. Um, Bird Duran, he does uh, some really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. I like his work. Great. Um, Suve the music with the swirl. Oh, that's cool. So these are just a, you know a few of the designs, but you know, yeah. mainly it's it's all in in full force, and that. I guess quick plug all of that's on the website so if you want the posters or if you want this you know so you someone can buy this full size poster right yep, here absolutely that's cool yeah it's one of that's a decent uh, fundraiser for us is the posters every year so the what does the, the poster, poster run uh, $20 $20 that's I mean honestly I thought it would be more well and we have some signed number ones every year we get the artist to sign and number them so this year is our 33rd year so Cody signed and numbered 33 of them so we have a few of those left as well okay and, um, so those are fifty bucks. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll uh, I'm gonna link the Festival International website on the uh, the website as well. So if anybody's interested in getting a shirt or the yep. poster, you can do that. Um, uh, I know we're getting close to an hour here, so I want to kind of be respectful of the time. And there's a couple of other questions. Um, some of them we kind of already talked about. Let's see, uh, have there ever been any malfunctions, and I think one of the malfunctions you you talked about was, you know, just some of the things that have that happen, you know, that most people don't see. So uh, we don't really need to go there. But um, as far as safety concerns at the festival, because it is an open festival, people can just drive up, park anywhere they want, and just walk right into festival. There's no gate. There's no, uh, you know, people wanding people. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you guys doing? I guess, to ensure that when people want to just go have a good time, 
to ensure their safety. Is, what is there like a practice that you guys have? And I'm pretty sure there's already there's been one for a long time. But like, oh, yeah. what are some of the things that you guys do? Yeah, there, there's there's several, and so I'll answer this, and then I would before we end some of the the main requests that I had for this was to tell some of the embarrassing or the malfunctions. Okay, so yeah, yeah, we'll, I'd like we'll to get end there. with that. Uh, we'll go back there. Yeah, so safety is is huge. Um, so it's something that we work on every year. Um, we work with the city. We work with the police. Uh, we just had a meeting. We every year we have a city planning session. So we had our meeting two days ago where the police came, uh, public works, uh, transit, parking and transit, parks. We had representatives of you know a lot of the city departments in one room, and uh, we go through, and that gets back to the production side of things. Uh, you know, Diane Harris is our production director. She's been doing it for 19 years. So she produces these binders that if you see this binder, um, it, it, like in t- when the RFID company came down last year, they produced festivals all over the world. And when they saw Diane's binder, they looked at us and said, man, I have never seen something as detailed and as you know, specific as this. So we lay out you know, everything from barricade drops to you know, opening, closing time. So we coordinate with the police. Some, some of the things that we've been adjusting recently. So last year, we started closing earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, to try to separate our patrons from some of the nightlife, um, you know, because it's get, getting back to what I was saying before. We're not a pop festival. We want a true family cultural experience. So we s- shut down on Friday and Saturday night. We started shutting down at ten o'clock. And what so, was the normal time? Eleven thirty. Okay. Um, so that helped a lot because then we can get our patrons kind of out of the way, and then the nightlife can come and do its thing. Well, one of the adjustments we're going to make this year, because the police said, look, it helped out a lot as far as dealing with the transition from festival to nightlife. But they said, you know, all of the stages emptying at once is, is a lot to handle. So we're going, right. to, we're going to go back to staggering the times. And an interesting adjustment that we're going to do is we're going to close Fado Doe at 945 so we can get those patrons to the, the shuttle stop is right next to Fado Doe. So if we can get the first batch of patrons kind of out of the way, 9.45, then at 10 o'clock, we're going to shut down International. And so if we can start emptying, the, moving those patrons to the bus stop, so we have staggered by 15 minutes, and then the last stage to close is actually going to be Lafayette, which is over by the federal courthouse. Yep. So it's kind of, it's a little bit, you know, separated naturally from the, the nightlife. Um, so this is going to enable the police to get the patrons out smoother, more efficiently, and kind of, you know, out of the way. Um, we also look at, uh, you know, barriers of entry, right? You know, a barricade isn't going to do it. So if you notice last year, there were a lot of police vehicles at some of the, you know, at the ends of, of Jefferson Street, or, you know, by the by the, the fountain. And you know, yeah. so we, we try, and then we're working with the city for better lighting, you know, because there are... Um, last year, the city put in a lot of LEDs on, on Jefferson, which helped. It... it, it provided more light which is always good there's still some areas that need help or need attention during festivals so we're in the meeting we talked about it the police have some you know temporary construction lights we're going to try to put those in in ways that where they're not you know obnoxious in your face but still helps to and then we're going to bring in some more we're seeing checking on the city's inventory of what they have Uh, we're going to provide some as well so if we can provide as much light as possible um, that's going to help. And then we're working with um, the DDA, the Downtown Development Authority, and the city 
on the plan, the ultimate plan to provide permanent lighting throughout downtown so that not just during festival, but you know, throughout the year, we can try to help and improve upon that. And then it's, you know, some of it is, it's kind of an educational piece. You know, a lot of the, by and large, festival has been very, very safe. Yeah. Um, the thing, in the last couple of years, the main things that, like last year, there was a group of uh, teenagers that just started a flash mob no reason they just started running and screaming and it started a lot of other people running and screaming and it's yeah you, know, you see someone running and screaming what are you going to do you chances know, are yeah. you're going to run yeah so i think part of it's an educational piece for people to realize one you know please educate your kids to know that that's not a good thing to do right and and two also recognize that normally you know there are people that just try to pull stunts like that so don't um you know, don't get that internal fear right away. Like if, if you see somebody running, you know, to try to assess the situation, see what's going on. But that's what we're hoping to, to minimize by, you know, closing down earlier and trying to light it up, you know, like a Christmas tree, like we say. So Yeah, more light is always good. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Uh, you said you wanted to bring up some of the embarrassing things. So what are the embarrassing things that you want to talk about? Well, and, and so those are always the stories that, you know, when, when people hear, they... They get a good chuckle, and uh, like I said, when I made the post yesterday, I, I got a couple requests that they, that's what they wanted to hear. Um, so, and I, I made a list of you know several things, but I'll I'll, I'll keep it to one um, unless you want. But there is some of the bullets, you know, like uh, a few years ago, like I mentioned, the ice vendor. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we changed ice vendors that year, and they basically got in way over their heads. So by Saturday morning, they they were out of ice. Period. Right, so we had to figure out what to do. Long story short, we got our old supplier. We had to crawl back with our tail between our legs. Hey, right, can you get us out of a bind? Well, Sunday morning, the the existing vendor got upset, and they pulled all the <coughs> ice out of our bins. And so normally they get stocked in the morning, and then we come in. Well, you know, mid Sunday morning, you got crowds coming in, and we had no ice in the festivals. And then you have, uh, you know, like I said, the RFID system. Like 30 minutes before we opened last year, um, the system crashed, right? And we had to figure that out. And then there's several other things that happened during festival, which, like I said, uh, most people just will never hear about. So the, I think the the one the the one of the funniest stories that I enjoy the most, and uh, I think my probably the staff is listening, and, and uh, they're they're going to shoot me for telling this, but. That's good. Um, so, so a, f- a few years ago, and I'll just we had a staff and a board member. And I'll, I'll call them Jack and Jill. Just okay, to, we Jack need and to Jill. Name them names. Um, they had been working together for years. That on Sunday afternoon we started tearing down. Okay, and so we started about three o'clock. So it takes us a week to put together. From Sunday at three p.m. to ten p.m. is what we shoot for. We have to have it all torn down. So they started tearing down, and and Jill was on the forklift. Jack was on the golf cart. They're p- picking up barricades. And Jill's son hopped on the golf cart with Jack, and he was helping out. So they're going through the street, the fork's coming. they got to move the barricades out, get traffic, all this stuff. So they're hopping along, they're doing their thing. And the the worst alert that we ever get in festival is a missing child alert. Oh, my God. And it happens, you know, almost every year. Normally what happens is we get the alert, and we all stop what we're doing. We, we try to find the kid, and then 10 minutes later the notice comes back, say, hey, he just walked to the, the food booth with his uncle, mom didn't realize, you know, kid's back, safe, all's good. Um, knock on wood, it's, that's how yeah. it always happens. So we get this missing kid alert, and, um, and so we're all scrambling. Everybody's looking. We know where he was missing from. Um, 
15 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by, we still can't find this child. So we're about to stop the music on the stage because, you know, you don't do that right away, but we're about to make a public notice that we are missing a child and uh, we need everybody to... So Jack and Jill, and they're trying to mobilize people to find the kid too. So they get to the, the loading dock and they're unloading all the barricades. And so, you know, Jill's son's helping out and they finish and then Jill's son just takes off. He just ran away. And so... Uh, basically, they finished, and Jack looked at Jill, and he said, well, all right, I'm going to go on to the next thing. Um, you know, we, we've still got to find this kid. And, and so Jill said, okay, well, are you going to take your son with you? And he looks at her and said, I don't have a son. I have a daughter. And they instantly, he said, I thought that was your son. Oh, my God. <laughs> so they, they knew each other had a kid, but they had never met him. So they both assumed it was the each other one's kid. Then they instantly realized they had the missing kid. The whole time. <laughs> they kidnapped the kid without knowing it. And now the kid's gone. <laughs> so not only did we have a missing kid, they had him. See, now they don't. Y'all call, y'all, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so imagine how that story is going to play out, right? Oh, so, man. Of course, they instantly said, okay, we have to go find this kid. And uh, so they started looking. And luckily, five minutes later, we got the notice, hey, the kid just came back. So when he ran from... The home base, he basically just ran right back to where they took him from. from. That is hilarious. <laughs> so for 30 minutes, we had a missing kid. 10 minutes, we had a kidnapped kid that we lost now. Now we have a missing, you know, and then it all worked out. But you can imagine. So the kid was on the golf cart the, the whole, whole time. The whole time. <laughs> Nobody assumed it because he was with somebody. Yep. That's, God, that's scary, though. Yep. That something like that can just, you know, you can just not see that. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and like I said, they, they've known each other for years. They just never met each other's kids. So you, you can imagine the laughs we got on you know, that night. And I, just, I wish I could have been a fly on each of their brains when they had that realization. I know. I thought it was your kid, you know. No, that so. is so weird. But, you know, it's human nature. We, we, just, we just assume that if there's a kid with somebody, if that kid is feeling comfortable and, you know, there's nothing that looks odd i mean yeah. just oh that that person knows that kid or that person knows that person so that is that's that's a that's a definitely i'm thinking that's an embarrassing story that uh, sounds embarrassing yeah, but I, hey we could mark that down and like i said we have those from every year you know that could be a, it's whole a whole another podcast series on you know embarrassing stories like that but that was a good one and you know God, we share something that's good um well i have one more question and i will end it with that this is just a personal kind of question because this is the type of one of the types of genres of music that I like is uh, electronic music or electro or EDM people call it. Um, are there like have there ever been or have thought of plans to bring in that type of genre of music? Because I know you have tons of different types of music, and EDM could be borderline like pop sensation like there's some EDM uh, uh, DJs who are popular one is Dead Mouse. Mm -hmm. everybody knows who Dead Mouse is yeah. I'm pretty sure he's expensive mm -hmm. and he's got this extravagant stage but there's some smaller EDM people that I think uh, would be interesting like has, has there ever has that ever been a thought to create a stage or put one on stage at any of the uh, stages that you have available. Yeah, there's been a lot of conversation um, over the years around EDM. And so the what we have done is we have had groups, like last year we had Needy Robicon, 
um, they were kind of a mix of, you know, had some an, a techno aspect, but also kind of a retro, you know, 80s kind of rock type thing. They were a great fit because uh, they were um, an ethnic type of music that, you know, I think they're from the Czech Republic. <laughs> and But it's the challenge that we have every year when we look for these types of groups. Um, we do, you know, like we're not going to... Like I said, we're not a pop festival, so we want to find some culturally, ethnically unique yeah. acts that are doing it in that space. Um, and you know, we also have to kind of ballast who our our core crowd is. So trying to find, um, you know, to dedicate stage space to pure EDM is we it's haven't tough. we haven't figured a way to bridge that yet. So we're looking at more hybrid stuff. Um, but we do look at that every single year and we try to find good fits. And then, you know, of course, the other side of EDM, there is a, you know, a light and a technical type aspect that, that adds to the music. So then you think, well, do we want to put it inside in a club? Mm -hmm. Because we've also juggled that, you know, if we could take our artists and put them in some of the venues downtown afterwards, we could probably do some really cool shows. But then it gets back to the safety aspect. Right. We are trying to, draw a clear line between what we do and what the nightlife is after. So we can't cross that line. So that's, so, a, that's a tough pickle. It's tough. So, and, and I'm a, I'm an EDM fan too. Like okay. I, you know, I, I would love, so, and Lisa and I talk about it every year. Like we, we absolutely want to figure out the right ways. Um, and we had a DJ um, a couple years ago too. So we, we're trying to find the right ways to sprinkle it in, in a way that, you know, we don't want to shock the system. Right. Um, but it's, you know, combine that with all of the challenges that I brought up earlier about booking international mm -hmm. artists. Yeah. So it's, there's a few layers. Well, to once you started talking about the, the way the booking happens, I was like, God, no wonder it's hard to get, you know, spe specific genres of music. Cause you have to balance Yep. transportation and cost and all that so uh i kind of figured that that would come up in the question but i just had to ask because yeah. um you know uh i know you're familiar with coachella coachella is not a free festival and but it's really cool because it happens around the same time of the year about maybe a week apart yeah or sometimes the same week and uh it's just really cool to listen to because some of the edm music that they have over there some of it's mainstream some of it's kind of like underground stuff and it's it's like man how like this is i would like to have like a good solid couple of hours of like something like this and you and you, you may have, you may have had i may have missed it yeah. um which that shame on me i, I wish i would have known but um no and it like i said it, it's it is tricky because it you know the programming <coughs> we also want getting back to to our roots like it um, we're not just francophone anymore, but we do still hold in high regard strategic alliances we have with not just sister cities, but other, you know, like for example, two, uh, two years ago, um, there was a new flight from Beijing to Houston. So mm. tourists were starting to fly into Houston and then they were going to be traveling on I-10, you know, back and forth to Florida. Well, we worked with LCVC and the International Trade Center. We wanted to put Lafayette on the map to get them to stop. Well, we ended up booking that Chinese drum and dance group that we had two years ago, yeah. and they were a huge hit. But with that, we partnered with Chinese organizations and companies to, to try to, you know, so it's a strategic thing. We're not just putting groups on a stage just for a show. There's a lot of other things we're trying to pair up with it, you know, behind the scenes, whether it's, you know, the Canadian government or, you know, we have a lot of close alliances with these governments. So 
yeah, it's dicing down through all of those layers. Um, and so, like I said, we, we circling back to EDM. Yes, it's absolutely on our radar. Um, but it, you know, we try to stay true to you know why we're here. It's right. not just to have a party in the street. It has to have. It has to be relevant to the city. It has to be an economic. You know, there has to be an economic reason. And like I said, not just as far as us being able to afford it, but we want to make sure we're helping Lita attract businesses to come here. We're helping LCVC attract tourists. We're helping LCG attract <coughs> the right citizens. You know, so we we keep all of that in mind when we you know when we do what we do. So it's. Um, like I said, it's a, it's a balancing act, and it's definitely a balance. You know, we, we try to stay true to that as much as we can. Well, Scott, I appreciate all the uh, the information. We're uh, we're literally about an hour and fifteen minutes in, <laughs> which is crazy because I don't feel like we've been talking that long. I, I warned you before. There, there's no shortage of uh, of content for this. Um, you know, there may be there may be a day where. Um, when, so what days are the festival again? It's uh, the 24th and 28th of April. Yep. So maybe it'd be nice. I don't know if you have time in April again to talk more if we if we need more time. Yeah. Um, but there there's just so much more to talk about. But uh, I think we covered a lot. Well, and I, like I mentioned before, I think what I like about this format, and I hope that the message gets across to people that festival is not this big magical big corporate entity it's it's us it's you know, it's the local community chipping in it's really it. what so, it is and i could tell that but even just moving here in 2010 i could tell there was a local community yeah. driven type of thing because yeah. it was free to get into yeah. something to be able to get into for free yeah. has to be done in a certain way it can't be corporate because corporate wants oh ticket let's yeah. get some tickets rolling in but um, and, and I say that because if there is interest in you know follow-ups to this podcast, like from the viewers or anybody, you know, I, I would love to because I feel like the more we do this, the more yeah. we can humanize the struggle <laughs> of what we you know what we deal with. The so, struggle is real. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to go ahead and pop up that logo for Buy Local. Uh, again, if you see that Buy Local logo at any of the businesses, just know that your money spent there is uh, supporting the not only the business but the Festival International as well. And, uh, you know, if you guys are watching and listening and you have suggestions of things that you'd like to see us talk about or if there's certain particular people in Lafayette that you want to, uh, for us to talk to, just let us know in the comments or email us. Uh, you can find our email address on our contact page on developinglafayette.com. Uh, and again, thanks for listening. Uh, you could... Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and if you have an RSS feed app like Overcast, you can listen there as well. And Scott, um, thank you for uh, giving us all this good information, and um, we hope that Festival International keeps going on for years and doesn't go under. So everybody listening, go out, support the festival, support the businesses that support festival, um, and no, we need to keep this, we need to keep this in town and it helps, uh, it helps Lafayette be different. Absolutely. So yeah, thanks for having me. And the, the last quick thing I'll say yep. is, you know, we did mention the festival locals. We mentioned us almost going under a few years ago. Uh, I would, <coughs> I'd be remiss if I did not talk about, or mention our corporate sponsors. They have been huge. They're the one, if you go on our site, the ones listed on the front well, who page. Who are a couple of them? Um, so Labord Earls, uh, law firm, JD Bank. Um, TV5, LUS, LUS Fiber, presenting sponsors. 
those are the, the people that stepped up when we almost went under and they played a huge role in, in helping us. And then, you know, there, there's several others like Lita stepped up, uh, Iberia Bank with the RFID stuff. You know, there, there's, we have over a hundred sponsors, but that, you know, those that I just named, like they stepped up when we needed it the most. And, um, you know, we, we could not have done it with it without them. They're still with us today. And, uh, so keep that in mind as well when you, yeah. you know, when you're going out. Well, cool. Well, uh, on that note, Again, thank you, Cajun Market Donut Company, Gidry Land Development, and Teresa Hamilton and team at Van Eaton and Romero for sponsoring the podcast. This is the tea, and essentially we just spilled as much tea as we could with the Festival International. So um, with that, thank you, Scott. Thank you. For information on sponsoring the tea podcast by Developing Lafayette, go to our website at developinglafayette.com and click advertise.